I'm Eddie Rowley, and you're listening to My Country Life, a podcast that takes you backstage and into the real lives of Ireland's country music, kings and queens. Each podcast in this series features a country star opening up the doors to their past and taking us on their personal journey into the spotlight. Along the way, they reveal their highs and lows, happiness and heartaches, and their struggle to find success. Here we meet Jimmy Buckley, who tells us how he packed in his job as a butcher to pursue his ambition to be a country singer. Jimmy first found fame when he won an RTE TV talent show called Secrets, which was hosted by the late Jerry Ryan. Like many country stars, Jimmy struggled for years to achieve success, and he recalls the hardships and setbacks he endured before hitting the big time. And the performer, who is also a member of the Three Amigos, remembers that it all began singing to an imaginary audience in an old ballroom as a child. This is My Country Life, a Sunday World Podcast. So, Jimmy, welcome to My Country Life. Good to be good to be here talking to you, Eddie. Your country life, actually. <laughs> My country life, absolutely. <laughs> and we're here in County Galway, but you're... you're uh, you're not a Galway man, you're... you're no, from I'm originally from a little place called, a village called Dune in East Limerick, just on the Limerick-Tipperary border, which gives great rivalry when the GAA fixtures are on with the hurling between Limerick and Tipperary. Um, I suppose it was in, in Limerick up until it was the age of, you know, 23 or 4, so I'm back in Galway ever since now, so I've kind of half and half, if you like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? We, we'll catch up at how, how you ended up in Galway uh, later yeah. on, but uh, Dune, you, you grew up in a family pub there, was it? Yeah, with a, with a little pub in, in Dune, um, my mum and dad, and... Well, we actually started, I started life on, on a farm, just um, a place called Laka, just outside Dune. And my earliest recollection of that would be walking the long boring up to the house from the, you know, when we walked home from school. But when I was maybe seven or eight, then my dad bought a, a bar in the town and or in the village, if you like. And um, I sort of grew up then in the, you know, with the, with the pub life of the, of the uh, sort of early eighties and seeing all the culture and 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 uh, seen a seen a lot. <laughs> but actually, they do say that kids who grow up in a pub they they, they mature a lot quicker because you're you're interacting with so many colourful characters. You are, you know, there's, there's no doubt about that, and you know, sure, there's no there's no bedtime really. You're told to go to bed, but when your mum and dad are busy in, in in a busy bar in a village, and you meet all the characters, you know, and you you kind of uh, you know. You you get to meet everybody, and you, you maybe see them when they're when their defenses are down, and when they're not when they're not down and stuff. And you know you meet characters, and I I very, I very happy childhood growing up. Um, you know there's eight of us in in family, and um, you know it's very exciting times growing up in a pub. We were never spoiled or anything like that because uh, those were those were different times. And mum and dad worked hard. Mum with the with the with the bar mainly and that, and and dad had a few dogs, and you know and that kept him going as well so you know we we enjoyed it we had a great family life yeah so you you're what fort fort in the family are you uh yeah fort and family yeah four out of eight yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so mike is the eldest and pat siobhan or judy as we so lovingly call her uh as myself Anne, molly maggie and tyke right <laughs> yes that's it. and there was music in the pub was there yeah up? there would be there would be um 
Uh, music every weekend, you know, and the ballad sessions and that. Ballad sessions are big in the 80s, you know, little, and little cover charge in the pub and that, uh, you know, coming in the door and you'll have the, the various sort of local groups, if you like, and people will be out dancing and, you know, you have the waltzing and the jiving and the, a bit, little bit of rock and roll thrown in. And uh, we had a little a little shutter area just from where the, the kitchen into the lounge. And while, while, while my brothers and sisters would be upstairs maybe watching TV, I'd be fascinated with listening to the music and the live music and listening to to the different bands and and just wanted to be just got the buzz of the thing sort of you know it 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 uh, that's where it came it, from it me straight away yeah yeah, yeah. and um, I, you know my uncle Chris Lord be good to him it was one of the various bands that used to come in and play him and Sam O'Doherty both who were gone to God now God be good to them and uh, you know they would. Um, they would come in and, of course, Chris knew that I sang a little bit and he asked me up to sing then and I'm sure I'd be bursting to get up singing. And um, how, how old were you then? I'd say I was about maybe 12. Right. And absolutely no stage fright of any description. I would come up and sing and the biggest problem we had was getting me back down again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I sort of took it from there, but I, the, the bug bit me from early on just for, it's all I ever wanted to do I think from the time I could I, I knew I could sing a, a note you know I, re- I remember you telling me one time was there a dance hall behind uh, the pub yeah yeah we did, we did there was an old ballroom my dad kept his greyhounds in it when I was growing up um, it's the crystal ballroom but the stage was still in it and the old floor was still in it the old timber floor and uh, while he'd be sending me out to do chores and that I would be up on the stage and have my own show and I'd be, I could be Elvis Presley or I could be George Jones or I could be Merle Haggard or I could be whoever. I, I took it into my own head and I have an audience and I'd, I'd bow and I'd sing and the echo then of the old hall as well, Eddie, just, uh, it was like, I had my own little reverb going there and I remember I used to sing Elvis Presley songs there and, and uh, just in my own world but to yourself to myself yeah <laughs> absolutely to myself at the time you know but um my mum and dad you know i think my dad thought it was half crazy and that type of thing at the time but i'd be singing into the handle of a sweeping brush you know and bowing and chatting to people who weren't there <laughs> and still doing that sometimes i think you know uh, brilliant yeah and the Ren boys that was a big thing back in, yeah, in yeah, childhood to, as well yeah we used to uh, every every stevens day it's a tradition that sadly has probably died out uh, a lot but i remember um I used to do, I used to follow the run. I better get this correct. And with my cousin Tom, we did a couple of years with me. And um, then uh, the baker, my cousin, the baker, Shamey, he used to do it as well. And we used to dress up in various outfits and go around to the pubs. And then we'd come back and we'd dress up again in different outfits and go into the pubs, the same pubs again, <laughs> to see how much we could collect. And we'd be singing. Actually, it's a great story. Um, Tom Shanahan, a great man. And, and Tom is still going well. But, um, Tom was a character and would come into the pub with, with a guitar with no strings and Tom would, would have a, a a tape recorder inside in the in in this canvas bag and he would play it and the Gallo Glass Kelly band would come on and Tom would go like <laughs> he was strumming the guitar up and down and he'd go come on pay me pay me Amy, he'd say, and everyone just loved it. It was like, it was the first novelty act I ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing what you learn and the things yeah. you learn and the tricks you learn from different singers and, you know, um, 
tricks of the trade that I I would sort of have brought into my own shows and as I've got older from looking at various, you know, people singing and that. I mean, it was another, there was another character in there, Martin Quinlan. Martin had this, like, you know, like a baritone-type voice. He's a great singer and played the accordion as well. And he could be up in, at the counter really, and the crack would be going great. And you'd hear him, if you were down the street at Wheel and Spar, you whatever kind of a voice he had, the pub would be packed, but you could still hear him. And he used to thump, to keep the bass drum going, he would thump his leg on the counter to keep time. And then midway through a song, there'd be nothing. And he'd actually fall asleep <laughs> for about half an hour. And he'd wake up. And people were just totally oblivious to so He'd wake up. And, and starting the pick same song. Pick up where he, <laughs> pick up where he left <laughs> yeah, off. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, my life was full of those type of characters <laughs> and, and people that you'd meet. And uh, I really loved it. I have to say, when I look back on it now, you know, we we hadn't a whole lot. We had what everyone else had. You know, there was, I often talked to friends of mine, Carl Berkeley and Brian Richardson about this, great, great friends of mine I grew up with. And the street, the street of Dune was full of kids at the time, you know, we're all from different houses. Now there's hardly any kids in the street. It's amazing. Yeah. And at that time, you know, we had to make our own fun and, you know, we were, you know, go out and play with the traffic. And everything. Yeah, you know? yeah. There was no PlayStations or any of that carry on. Cowboys was, and Indians with sticks. Yeah, Cowboys sticks and, and Indians. And, and uh, as we got older then, um, remember to the Brian Richardson especially, he used to, uh, when he's, he's, his father, Bob, a lot of mercy, he was being the pub and Bob would have a few pints and the hurl and talk at start and, We'd be outside pushing the station wagon car down the street and into it and off into Tipperary for chips, the three of us at maybe 15 or 16 years of age, which would be absolutely desperate to do it now, but, you know. Yeah. But all those type of things were done and harmless old crack, you know. Did you work behind, as a teenager then, work behind a bar? I did, yeah. Kind of reluctantly enough, I have to say, I rather the other side of it most <laughs> of my life. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I, I would, I would uh, on occasion, I would, uh, you know, we all sort of had to take our turns and, and um, you know, yeah, you interviewed the different uh, characters, if you like, or one particular character, um, Tim Joe Godfrey again, another man, God rest him, he was a very funny man, but we had got one of those toasted sandwich makers, Eddie, and when you come back from school, the last thing in the world you'd want is to be asked, bad enough to have to do the bar, but uh, Tim Joe was in and he was drinking his Guinness and I could see him making eyes and at this toasted sandwich man and Jim's there, is that one of them toasted sandwich makers? And I reluctantly said, yeah, that's one of them, Tim, yeah. Will you go in and make me one? So I had to go in and I put everything I could into this sandwich, everything I could get my hands on, Eddie. Oh, I couldn't mention half the stuff I put into it. <laughs> I said, he'll never ask me for another one again. If it was now, I would, it would yeah. be just a no-no, complete yes, no-no. You'd be closed down. And uh, I gave it to the man anyway, and he ate it. And uh, now... Just tell your listener, he didn't die for about 40 years after this. So, so he ate it. And it was healthy stuff. And, and he says, that was lovely. He says, I, will you make me another one of them? <laughs> you know, like you were all the time meeting characters. And because it was a country area too, you know, I remember one great story. It was on, I was on Live at Tree one time. And that time they used to do Live at Tree. They'd record it at half eight or nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, sometimes the music end of it, and you could be back home. So I happened to be. So it was live at half eight, but you saw it. You saw it at three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember being on it one particular time, and um, we did it. We had to record it early in the day, anyway. I was back at home, and a fella, an old fella, used to come into the bar. He was called Mikey De Glynn. And Mikey did Glynn used to have all these sayings and everything. And we had an old portable TV. I remember up in the corner of the bar, and I was behind the bar at this stage, serving uh, uh, Mikey his, his half pint of Guinness and his little, his little glass of whiskey. And uh, 
Live a Tree was on, and of course I knew this. This would have, he would he would cop this thing, you know. So Live a Tree came on, and Derek Davis, uh, I think, um, you know, introduced me on, and I was on singing. And Mikey was looking at me, and then he'd look at the television. It's an old man, like in his late seventies, just to look at the television again. He looked back at me, and and then he looked at me and he said, "Warner Brothers have a lot to answer for." He says, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, like, it, it was. You, you yeah. couldn't buy that kind of stuff. No, no, like, he couldn't figure. Know. He just couldn't figure out. No, no, no. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, did you do your leaving cert and all of that? I did my junior cert or yeah. enter cert, as it was called back then. Um, I never went for my results or anything until uh, uh, John Joe Fahey, a teacher, again, Lord mercy on him, John Joe, um, lovely man. He he eventually brought my my results down to my mother because. Uh, I didn't didn't know how I was going to do, and I had got a job in the meantime in in a local cash and carry in Tipperary, and uh, when I was sixteen, and I was kind of I just said to ma'am, I'm not going back to school. I, I just look, I wasn't in hindsight. Maybe I should have, you know, if it was nowadays, I suppose I'd, I'd have studied a lot more and that type of thing. But um, I wasn't bad at school. I actually quite enjoyed it to an extent, but I, I just wanted I couldn't get out to the real world quick enough. So I took a job and um, I was allowed in once I had my job that I didn't have to go back to school. You know? Right, right. Regrets? That I didn't go back? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Oh, you yeah. did okay in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the end, absolutely. Yeah. I was but, lucky that uh, it was the, the talent for music and such that I was very fortunate that way, yeah. And you you were, um, uh, you worked with Anglo Meats? I did, yeah. Uh, Anglo Irish Beef Packers down in, in Care in Tipperary. Um I did that when I was, uh, I think, about 18. I used to get up in the morning at 6 o'clock and I used to feel awful sorry for myself <laughs> because it was pitch dark and, you know, I'd, I'd had a motorbike at the time, a Yamaha 100, and uh, I would jump up on the, on the bike at maybe half six and I would drive to Care, which is quite nearly 30 miles roughly anyway, at that hour of the morning. And I still remember I'd be going along on the bike and the helmet, of course, when the helmet's on you, you can hear your own voice. And I'd be singing songs to myself, going down along. That's genuinely, that's what I'd be at. And then, of course, the Arctic should overtake you and you'd be waving from side to side on the bike. But I would arrive in there into, um, into that place at half seven, put on the, the steel apron and the steel glove and all the rest of it and work there, really hard work, really, really hard work, learning to be like a, a trainee boner or butcher or whatever and um you know you'd come out of it then in the evening times at at four o'clock in the winter and it'd be dark going in and dark when you were coming out but i stuck it well for a good year and a half and it was very grounding you it was hard work and i remember i used to do a, a one-man show at the weekend and of course i figured out after a little while it was actually making more at the my few nights the music and an awful lot less hassle than than um than doing the job, but my my mam said to me at the time, "That's not a real job. Keep the grand job you have now." So, I blame my mother for being there six <laughs> months longer than they should have been. That was pretty <laughs> tough work, wasn't it? Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. Really, really tough work. It was hard physical work, and you know what? It didn't do me one ounce of harm. And I think I think nowadays, even you know, kids growing up, good hard physical work is you know, I think you'll appreciate life, and you're you're ready for it. You know, and you know, with a couple of 
bosses at the time too when they, they weren't short and kept you in your place oh absolutely and yeah. with the highest volume that they could <laughs> find and and you know they mightn't just get away with it nowadays but yeah but it, it meant tough going. you know later on in life when you got success you didn't lose the run of yourself because no, no um, I did not no <clears throat> I, yeah. look I never did Eddie because I was I suppose there was always an uncertainty to life for me I've never I'd never I was never ever got cocksure myself that all oh, I'll never see a poor day again. This'll be, you know, this is a doddle type of thing. You know, right, you would get complacent from time to time and you'd relax back and say, Sure, this is brilliant, sure, look, I'm loving it and I'm enjoying it and all that. But I, I always had this built in thing that, you know, nothing is given to you, you have to earn everything you get. And for me, that's the, I, the, to this day, I would I would think of things that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's through the hard work, I think that you know, as a kid and probably growing up, we were never spoiled as kids, and still we had two wonderful parents, thankfully still with with us, and they were great to us. And you know, we we just we had a lovely growing up. You know. Now the late Jerry Ryan, he played a role in you coming to prominence and yeah. going on to become a singer as a, as a professional artist. Yeah. Uh, he, did show, he did a show called Secrets That's back right. in the day, yeah. Yeah. And they had a competition? Yeah, it was a competition. Very, Actually, it was a competition um, where uh, karaoke was massive at the time. It was just after starting off and Jerry would have, they'd have different singers on every week and I just looked at this show and I thought, I have to get on this. I just have to get on this set. There were kind of singers that were going on as a guy had going, you know, it's like kind of like stars in the rice, everything, to go through the curtain and come out as, you know, the Righteous Brothers or come out as, as Elvis Presley or come out. And I said, at the time, Randy Travis was massive. And he was just after starting off and he had Forever and Every Man and he did, uh, on our jukebox at home in the pub, it would be just sang and sang. I played and played and played. And one day I was playing, I was playing a game of pool with my, with my sister, Judy. And she turned down the jukebox a little bit because I was singing along with it. And she said, God, she said, you can, you're able to sing very like this Randy Travis guy. And I kind of caught on to it a little bit. And I thought, Jeannie, I'd, I just have to get on that show. And I remember ringing up at the time. Uh, I, I, you know, I got the, got the phone and rang up and it was Jerry's voice uh, came on. If you were a comedian, tell a joke. If you were a singer, sing, you know, for half a minute. If you were a... Uh, you know, whatever, you know, leave a voicemail. And I, I just got off the phone and said, no, no, so this will never be heard now. I'm going to ring up and neck the agent and say that I, I got it wrong and can I speak to somebody, you know. I just <laughs> used the initiative. So I phoned again. I talked to a lady called Mary Curtis. Put me through the Jerry Ryan office. And he's just told her, look, I'm a, I'm after recording something there on the, at my guitar and many, I recorded something there. And I don't think I did it right, but, uh, you know, I really want to sing for you and I, and she told me afterwards, she says there was a lot, a lot of men in the in the lunchroom, you know, she, she gathered everyone around. I have some Egypt from down the country here wants to sing for us all here. We'll, we'll listen away to him. But that's exactly what I wanted, you see. So I started off, you know, strumming my guitar and I'm going to love you forever. And I started singing away. And then halfway through, she stopped me you know, and she says, have you, have you, are you a professional singer? Oh, at the time I was doing my one-man show, not at all, sign no, parties only, <laughs> and all that. And she says, have you got a, a demo tape? And I says, no, which I hadn't, but can you do one? Well, I can, says, I can sing into a tape recorder with my guitar and sing, which I did do, and sent it on to them. And lo and behold, I got on the show, 
I was actually the last ep- episode, second last episode before the show finished. So I just got in and then I got to the final and I won the final. But if I hadn't made that phone call that day, my life could have went completely different direction. So I would say to anybody, if you feel that you take the initiative, go and do it. Believe in yourself and go and do it. Oh. I'd, have, I'd have never, only for I did that, made that call. And she was very kind and fairness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what age were you then? I was 20. 20? Yeah. 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 A baby. A baby, yeah, yeah, a baby that time. And what, and you know, back, back then, um, it doesn't have the same impact now, but if you appeared on television and you won a big show like that, I suppose, in a way, it was kind of like the X factor of, it of, of its time. Yeah. Um, and and it, it, it makes a huge impact. People know you straight away. They do, like, and it was, like, at that time, it was really RT1 and RT2 and maybe BBC, if you had a, bad, a good area. Yeah, know? very few channels. Uh, yeah, very few channels. So I remember when I won it. Um, what year was it, Jimmy? Uh, I think, you know, I think it was, ni- it's either 91 or 92. Okay. Already. I'm not yeah. raising that yeah. years, but um, anyway, uh, when I won it, I, I, you know, I remember actually Jerry said to me, God rest him, he's a lovely man, and he said to me at the time, you know, he says, you could go and make a packet of this now. Go out this karaoke thing, go around this Jimmy Buckley, Secrets winner, go out and make, make a fortune, which I could have done yeah. with all this equipment I had. But it never appealed to me from day one. I had only one thing in my mind that I was going to put a band on the road and I was going to go singing, that this karaoke thing would be a short-lived thing and it wasn't about, you know, making a quick book at the time. So I remember oftentimes early in the time regretting the fact that I, that I hadn't capitalized on Yeah, but like, you know, sort of put the band on the road then and, and, and away we went really, but took a long, long time to to get established. I remember <clears throat> our first night in my local hall in Dune, we had about 1,300 people, I think, the same night. And we rented in a PA system and all, and during the day, PA system sounded brilliant. God, you could hear it down at the end of the hall, but sure was, we didn't know at the time, a little band they had and everything. Sure, when the crowd came in, you'd nearly have needed 10 times the power to, to get down through the crowd. So, like, people were giving out the can here, me the halfway down, they couldn't hear it. So it was kind of a bit of a disaster the first night. And, uh, you know, I saw I've mixed memories about that, wondering, is that my chance gone and all the rest of it? And I remember playing in a place in Roscommon, three nights afterwards and we had something with 27 people in the next place so that was a pretty, bit, pretty yeah that was but like the PA like, system everyone could hear it at the same time <laughs> <laughs> that was back to the days when you were singing to nobody in, in to your, nobody in the, yeah. yeah to nobody <clears throat> like 20, 30, 40 people that type of thing and trying to keep a band going and it was gas the characters having the band in as well Eddie you're probably the only, the only musicians you could get at a time <laughs> people that nobody else wanted for one reason or another <laughs> so that had its own <laughs> way of going too and we had, we had an old van there and sure the old van was not to keep it together only the grace of God and travelling up and down the country with a butcher we took off and and, and try to make it work, you know. I, I think you were telling me one time that your parents had to give you a dig out every now and again oh, just to pay oh, the band oh, just their wages. Look, I'd come home there and I was living down in, in Dune at the time for the first couple of years and I did more more times than I can remember. I would go up and they would, you know, Dad would say, here, sure, look, that'll pay the boys anyway and fair play to them. They did, only for them, you know, because if you couldn't keep musicians at the time, even the ones that nobody has watched. Um, you know, only some of them, of course. But, like, um, you know, there was no way of keeping it going. So, like, and when I look back at it, it was crazy stuff. There was about, 
a chance in a million at the the way things went for me in the first couple of years I did it. Like there was a chance in a million that I was ever going to make it. That I was ever going to make yeah. it go. But like the Jerry Ryan show, it was brilliant, the secret show at the time. But it was afterwards, you know, it's it didn't mean anything in the way of you know, you're hugely famous or anything like that, or you're you're, you're suddenly you haven't made because I've seen that with with different competitions down through the years that I've seen different singers being on. You still have to go out and you still have to give your wares to the people, and they'll decide. You know, and you have to earn their respect over the years and build up your following that way. Especially with country music, that seems to be the way anyway. You know. Yeah, it's a <clears throat> tough, hard slog, isn't it? It's a really, really tough, hard slog. Yeah. Um, there was times, more times than not, I felt like like giving it up simply because, look, it was all right before, you know, when I wasn't married and stuff, but when I got married then, uh, in 95, you know, there was too many, too many bills hitting the, hitting the, hitting the floor inside the letterbox. Yeah. And it was really difficult at that stage then, you know, to say, you know, you're, you're going to have to do one thing or another here, either either make a go of it or do something else, you know. You got married at, at the age of 23, mm. so you were only a baby. Only a baby, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you met your wife on a Ryanair flight coming back from a gig in, in London, was it? I did, yeah. <clears throat> I did. We were, um, funny enough, I met her on, on the way over. We were over playing in, in the Galtimore. The famous Galtimore. The famous Galtimore in London from Mikeburn. And uh, we were playing there. And I was coming back to play a gig in Break for the Border in Dublin at the time. Line dancing had craze had hit and we would get booked for a couple of nights in in a row in that place and of course I, I started up a chat with her on the plane and asked her would you come to break for the border the next night and she duly obliged and the rest as they say is history. <laughs> <laughs> and where is uh, where's Clarice from? She's from Galway from from Athenry where we live. Where you now yeah. live. Yeah. Yeah, so she yeah. soon got her way. So <laughs> I had to move to the west. That's how you went to up. Connacht. <laughs> I chose uh, Connacht. Anyway. I've been to your home. It's a lovely home and Thank lovely, you, lovely part, lovely part of the world where you live. Thank you. Uh, but she knew you from uh, Secrets, did she? She did. Yeah, she'd yeah. seen me from Secrets, and so you got a wife out of it as well. I did. Yeah, I got a wife out. It's amazing. Like she'd seen me uh, in in of War and More one night that I had played there, and. Um, you know, she didn't get chatting to me, but she knew me from there, and um, we got chatting. And uh, she's she's a great person, yeah, she's a good girl. So, yeah, and you went on to have three children, three children, yeah, yeah, Claudia, Claudia's, and Michael and Charlotte, yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about Claudia later on, yeah. Um, so you so you settled then in in were you in you didn't move to Galway straight away, did you? Or? No, no. Um, when Claudia was about two. We moved, we moved to Galway simply because I was on the road a lot. Um, Henry McMahon had taken over my management at that stage and things were really beginning to, to, to move and to start going well. And I was away a lot. I had to be away a lot, you know, and living down in Limerick was, you know, it was, you know, I suppose we, we had our, our, our first startup house down there and um, uh, Clarice wanted to. She says, "Would we would we move to Galway?" And I, I'm glad we did because we kind of started our own. We you know, we opened the we opened the gap in the in the ditch, if you like, and built our own place and started from our own way. So it was nice. I loved Galway and the people in Athenry have been Monivay and that been very very good to me over the years and built up a lot of friendships and lovely part of the world. Galway is fantastic. Like, yeah, it really yeah. is. 
And I miss Limerick, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once a Limerick man, always a Limerick oh, man. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, we're very tribal, aren't we? A very oh, tribal race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no matter how many years you live in Galway, you'll always be. Yeah, for sure, certainly. Well, especially now that we're going so well in the hurley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, after you, you got married, as you say, it, it was tough times and tough times with the band. You, you actually, uh, you, you were combining it with with uh, a day job as well. You took yeah, on a day yeah, job. Was, was it Rentical? Yeah, I worked for Rentical initially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a, f- a friend of mine to this day, Michael O'Mahony, he was so, so good to me. He um, he knew, I, I he thought that I would have a, a grow for sales, which I loved. I loved the job, I really did. And Mike gave me a great opportunity. And it was great. I suddenly had a company car, I had a salary coming in every month and all the rest of it. And I was actually, I was going to give up the music. That was the plan that I'd, you know, I'd, I'd you know, pull it back to what to whatever in my own mind you know and then I just knew I wouldn't be able to and uh, but Mike was kind enough he, he he I suppose if you like he was a fan of my singing too and my music and that and he says to be ashamed to give it up he says try and combine the two and he says and I'll work with you and he was the boss you know and so that helped an awful lot you know that I was able to you know start to be building my career and um, and working with the job as well and paying, paying the bills, if you like. So that was going great. I, I remember, you know, I, I, I top sales in the country for two years in in a row. That had a great future ahead of me with the company. I absolutely love sales. And, uh, you know, again, Mike was a wonderful teacher. He was a great, great man. You know, he's a great positive thinking person. And... I remember I used to call into different places, Eddie, and I would be calling in and, you know, I'd have the suit on me and, you know, I used to go in the survey places and then you'd send the service people out, you know, we went to big factories and, you know, uh, restaurants, bars, all that type of stuff. And you'd walk into to a different premises and someone would say, um, God, you're, you're your man that sings, aren't you? I'd say, yeah, oh, God, I didn't think you'd have to be doing this as well. And and that would that would... It would get to me. It would actually get to me and say, ah, yeah, sure, look, sure, you have to pay the bills and that type of thing. And well, I've seen you there in the television, didn't think you'd have to be at this. And, you know, and it got to such a stage where I knew that if someone, one more person said it to me, I just wouldn't be able to take it. So I remember driving between Roscommon and Lanesboro one day. That's exactly where I was. And I pulled the car in halfway between Roscommon and Lanesboro and I rang Mike and said, Mike, I says, I'm very successful at selling this product and the whole lot. I says, but I said, I've learned one thing over the last two years. Maybe over the first few years, I was waiting for other people to do stuff for me and maybe record companies and management and all that. I says, I figured out now that if I want to make it in the music business, I have to do it myself. And I I really have to give this another try if I don't. I said, but the only way I'm going to do that is I'm going to have to resigned from the job and I'm going to have to really go at it. And he understood and he asked me to go in and think about it, which I did do. And uh, I, from then on, it was all music. And I suppose you had the support of Clarice because it, it, it yes. was... it was oh, very much it so. Was, did you have children at this stage? <clears throat> uh, it was 98, yeah. Claudia was, Claudia was just born. And mm. um, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, well, I got, I did, I got her support, and uh, you know, I knew I had to do it. Eddie, it was yeah. the music was the love of the music was in me, and I didn't want to be perceived as 
God, your man was a fine singer, but sure, he never made it really. Or, you know, and yeah. I had that as well. And I didn't want to let myself down. You know, I says, you know, so I decided I would, you know, go at it. And I did and made a few changes and such. And, uh, you know, it took off, thankfully. And what was the country music scene like at that stage? You know, who, <clears throat> um, was Daniel there at that stage? Daniel was there, but <clears throat> Daniel was yeah. huge, but he had obviously gone on to the concert situation. Yeah. Or less at that stage. And, um, you so know. So the dancing scene had kind of contracted again. It bit. had, it yeah. had, it it had. But it was a little bit of a closed shop in, in so, so far that, if you like, you know, Declan Nerney was massive at the time, as was McFlavin, John Hogan, Dominic Carroll was doing very, very well. Lots of singers that were doing really, really great business. And, you know, the promoters, you know, as they were <laughs> over the years, they would, you know, they would basically... You know, whoever was pulling the numbers was going to get the gigs, and the only a lot of the time you could only get into a place if you played for half nothing, and maybe if someone else had to pull out of a date that you could get into a venue. So I need I needed to get in front of these people. I needed to have a good enough show and a good enough product for them, and that's what I started to do. I started to ring DJs myself. I started to ring promoters myself. I kind of self managed for for a good while, and and. Um, sort of slowly but surely started to make headway that I probably should have made a lot sooner. But I was ready for it this time and I was very focused on it. And um, there was a little bit of a, a a buzz starting on me and starting on the band and, you know, and I got a couple of very good musicians or a lot of experience together at that stage. And there was a buzz on us, you know. Shortly before Henry McMahon came in, we were really beginning to happen. And then when Henry came in and it was just a super, super addition to the whole thing and he wrote me your wedding day, which sort of fast forwarded the thing then. So for yeah. people, and everyone knows him in, in the business, but for somebody listening in and they don't know the, the country scene extremely well, Henry McMahon, who is he and, you know, what's his stature in the, in, well, in Henry the world McMahon, of country music? Henry McMahon, for those who wouldn't know him, is uh, to if you like, the, the band leader with Big Tom and the Mainliners for many, many years. And wonderful character, very, very talented man. He played sax and did a lot of the, the, the MC work in, in, in the band with Tom and the Mainliners. And then he started writing songs, wrote a lot of brilliant songs for Tom and uh, wrote songs. He wrote Near So Perfect for Michael English. Marquine Drumlish, Three Willow Affair, numerous big hits for Declan Ernie. He just had this uncanny knack. To me, he's the Irish Hank Williams of, of country music songwriting. And he, at the time, was sort of at a loose end. And I knew he was at a loose end, but I knew he could manage if he had the act that he could take where he where the act needed to go, etc. He needed me and I needed him at the time, if you like. And we got on great and the great old respect between us still to this day. I, I love the man. Henry McMahon is just, he was always a brilliant man and very great character and he just seriously talented man. And he, you know, he, he, um, he rang me one day, he says, Karen's after getting engaged, my daughter Karen, you know. He was all delighted because he's his only daughter. I says, Henry, you'll have to mark that with a song. I can actually remember where we were sitting, Eddie, exactly we were sitting at home in the sitting room at the time, being on the phone to him. You have to mark that with a song. I said, as a throwaway remark. He rang me two days later. I, I, I wrote that song, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Your wedding day. Your wedding day. The first time I saw you 
I loved you with all of my heart The first time I held you I knew Someday we would part Next Saturday morning in church I'll give you away In my eyes happy tears I can't hide on your wedding day It's hard to imagine a baby so tiny and small Is now a young lady of beauty so pretty and I know you love love in your wedding dress and bouquet When you walk down the aisle with your husband on your wedding day Your mother she nursed you I remember we we, we recorded it down Hedford in um, with Charlie Donahue and, and, and sorry Jimmy uh, you know did you say can I record it or you know did, did he sent oh, yeah. it, he sent it he, to no, you he told me I have a song for you he says for I you. want you to record right. it so yeah. I was delighted and he, he uh, actually his brother Seamus Lord mercy him did a, did a rough demo of it and sent it to me and uh, we, Henry and I worked a little bit maybe on the melody but the the the, the, the words were totally and utterly down to him. It was, just, it was a great song. I knew there was something about the song. And Frankie Coolen and Tony Maher produced the actual the album, the Wedding Day album. And we're down in the studio with, with Gerald O'Donoghue in Hedford and Henry came down one day and he did a great habit of rubbing his hands together and he says, and the Castle Blay and he accent, magic. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we were leaving... Um, Headford, I remember I was going for Galway and Henry was go- going left, heading on for, for that direction. And I can still remember him. My there was two two lane two lane highways to say coming out of Headford. <laughs> and he and he just put he, put his his finger up like this, you know, to the window of the car, number one. Number one. Yeah. And I said, God Henry, I hope you're right. This is my own mind. Yeah. And it was just a massive hit. Yeah. Massive hit. That was your first big That was oh, that was my song. first song. That yeah. was my that that's the song I that people will remember me for and that I'll sing in every show I'll ever do. Yeah. It's a wonderful song. I never get tired of singing. And that's the whole secret to to a successful career, isn't it? Yeah. Getting that one song. If you can get a second one, great, or a third one. Yeah. But getting the first one. Oh, getting the first one, that that yeah. elusive song. And you know, you know, when you look at it, you say, oh, sure, it must be nobody, just write a song. <laughs> but but write, the, write the right song, write the song that people will, you know, I've met more people all over the world that would say, oh, that song meant so much. One man told me he actually doesn't sing at all, but he, you know, he just read the words of it at his son's wedding in Australia. Really? He said, it wasn't a dry eye in the house, you know, and this yeah. type of thing. And, and uh, like, there's stories I catch you hear all the time. It's amazing what a song does for people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So Henry played a huge, a huge Henry role. Henry played a huge part, managed me for many years, did a great job, still writing great songs and um, just a great character, a really good, kind person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've gone on to then um, perform with the, some of the greats and record with some of the greats of American uh, country. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, 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 well, I mean, years ago, I suppose I, I did... Uh, 
I toured for three shows in Ireland with the late, great Glenn Campbell, which is something I'll, I'll always remember and love that. I did numerous uh, tours and shows with Charlie Pride and oh, sure loved working with Charlie Pride. He's just terrific. He was a brilliant man and, uh, you know, got to play on the cruise with him as well because and got chatting with him a lot more on the cruise. And in recent years in, before in he recent died. years before he passed away. Yeah. And uh, that was terrific, terrific altogether. And then, of course... You know, back in 2007, I got to go to Nashville to record with the the late, great George Jones. In fairness, thanks to a man called James McGarrity, who was who was good enough to get Mike Denver the opportunity, as well as myself, to go over and record with, with George and to get to meet with him and uh, to sing with him in studio. I still remember, like, his, his wife, Nancy, lovely, lovely lady, was there and... Uh, I remember doing a lot of my part the day before and we were out that night, uh, you know, you know, on my part in the studio, done, knowing that George was coming in the next day to to sing his his lines. And I, wait, I remember waking up in a cold sweat saying, what if he doesn't like it and he doesn't want to do it? What am I going to do? I started panicking. And he came in and I remember he came in and of course this big kind of Rolls Royce of York or something arrived in with, you know, and how you doing, son? And he was I said, just... You know, couldn't believe it. And uh, he was just so complimentary. And it's even on, on the, they did a little do- documentary series in Nashville and I have the footage of it where where he's kind of giving me the heads up and even at the end of the song, he, he said stuff impromptu that we left on the record, which was complimentary. And <laughs> uh, and I remember saying to the producer, Buddy Hyatt at the time, I said, Buddy, I said, is that a, did you get that on, on tape, what he said there? He said, son, when George Jones comes in the door, we get everything. <laughs> a sneeze, a cough. Yeah, a sneeze, a cough. So that was terrific. And the fact that he he got what I did and was complimentary, something I'll always keep with oh, that's me. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely brilliant, you know. Yeah. Um, Can you remember listening to him growing up? Oh, yeah, sure. Look, you'd hear George, a good year for the roses and... He stopped loving her today and the race is on and he could do anything with with a song. He could make every song his own, which and he had the most unique voice, if you like, you know. And then he was a hellraiser as well, and he was sure you couldn't you know, you could did you, you call me no show Jones. Did and, you take that bit from him? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a, lot, a little bit of it. <laughs> I pushed the lawnmower to the pub instead of drive it. That's the only thing. <laughs> but when you're a 10-year-old or whatever you were uh, singing in that empty ballroom in, in Dune, you never thought one day you'd be you'd be singing with, with the great George Jones? I never for one second dreamt anything like it. Yeah. No, I didn't. I, I, well, I, I guess I dreamt it. I dreamt that I'd be someday famous and singing and I was for my, just for my own amusement, but I never thought that, you know, God has been very good to me and, you know, to give me the career I'm still having, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I quoted you before. George was the country as Elvis was to rock and roll. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and Frank Sinatra called him the the Rolls Royce for country music, and that's good enough for me. Yeah. You know? And then you met, you met the, our own king as well, and you got to know our own king, Big Tom. Oh, sure, I did, of course. Sure, I know Tom for I, actually. I remember with with Tom up in in the clubhouse in Orem. I was doing some charity with him there a few years ago, and. Uh, at the time, I used to take a, a few whiskeys, and uh, Tom and I were up at the bar swapping songs, and and uh, at, the, at the clubhouse in Orem, great company, great man to be in his company, just a modest, lovely man, 
and uh, and he knew his music. I'll tell you, he knew like he had some great songs, and you know, he you'd, you'd 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 feel special if if you were in Big Tom's company. You felt like, well, I'm you know, I'm cool. I'm here with Big Tom. He was just he had that aura of of stardom about him, but at the same time, such a modest, humble kind of a way of going on. But he was cool. He made yeah. you feel like you were the the star. Well, he did. Like you know, yeah. he would like he'd, he'd you know. I remember. From my first DVD recording in Castle Blaney, uh, him and Rose, God rest him, came in and came to the show. And, you know, you could see them at the show. And I couldn't believe it. Imagine Big Tom is here. And about to record on my DVD. I said to him after, hey, enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> like he would. <laughs> you know. And he came back with a little bit of a party back in the Glen Karen afterwards. And Tom came back for the little bit of festivities as well. So, yeah, yeah. ah, he was a great man. Jimmy. And back in the days when you were starting off and when you were struggling, you had an old Big Tom bandwagon. I had. Which yeah. is, I'll tell you one thing, Eddie. <laughs> I was young. I was young and foolish at the time. Yeah. But probably t- took, took a bandwagon that had. Probably been around the clock about 40 times. <laughs> you can imagine Mercedes, how busy was it? Yeah, Mercedes 508. Um, and remember, we got it all sprayed up with Jimmy Buckley. And we had this first at the time, we called it the Secrets Band. And we had all these music notes. The Secrets Band spread, after the show. The, the, the Secrets, yeah. The okay. Secrets Band, yeah. And it was all these notes, music notes, and all this white fan. Oh, it looked the business, but the engine, and it was useless. Oh, my God. So to to go as far as you'd bring it nearly, you know. And <laughs> it was just, it was an awful van altogether, but it got us here and there. And, uh, you know, I often thought, I often laughed about that. Imagine getting the van after Big Tom and the mainliners. God almighty, like, it would have certainly all its work done by the time I got it anyway. And did you did you buy it because it was Big Tom's no, wagon? No, no. I, you know, I can't even recall where we yeah. bought it at the time, but I do know that it was uh, it was the next big town, the Mainers van, which I thought was the coolest thing under the sun at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah. This will surely bring me success. <laughs> <laughs> so that was shortly. That was not a couple of years after Secrets, was it? Or yeah, no, yeah. it was. It was on. It was in the year I won Secrets. Oh, you won Secrets? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 When, I, when I went on the road, you know, uh, there's pictures of it somewhere. I'm sure, you know. You broke the windscreen at one stage. Yeah. We did. I couldn't couldn't afford to get it fixed. Yeah, the, the windscreen broke, and um, the driver at the time, Speedy, he was driving it, and uh, I think we had it insured Spe- at the time. Speedy by, by name. But, yeah, Speedy. <laughs> that's so Speedy by nature. But we we had it insured. I think at the time as a fruit and veg van. It was the only way. It was the cheapest way of getting insurance at the time. <laughs> kind of just mainly to pass the guards. And uh, I remember a big stone hit the windscreen. <laughs> And knocked it out through early. We hardly had the money for the diesel at the time. And uh, we had some sort of cling film or some sort of stuff anyway. And we we tried for a bit and didn't. Then he was inside with scarves and caps and coats on us. And we drove to two gigs and went back. <laughs> no windscreen. <laughs> no, if it rained, it was interesting. <laughs> To say the least, but that time, I mean, it's no issue, you'd be locked up for it, they'd throw away the key. But you know, that, that time, thankfully, it wasn't as you yeah. know, not thankfully, but you know, I'm glad it's more strict now because I wouldn't like to meet anyone coming <laughs> against me with no one screen, you know. Um, the, the last what, 10, 15, 20 years have been fantastic boom time in, in, yeah. country, in country music, you know. Yeah, what was the reason for that, do you think? New, younger people coming into it? I do think so, yeah. I think, like, um. For whatever reason, you know, uh, I you know Declan Ernie, Declan Ernie, um, 
I think, appeal to all ages. When he was at it too, when he's doing his own show, it would stop the world, let me off on all the different songs. And he had his own unique style that kind of, uh, you know, it was like country, but it was show band, it was a bit of rock and roll, there was a bit of everything about it. And I, I, I really think Declan should get more credit than, than, than maybe has been given to him for, for, for the dance element of it, for the excitement that, that he brought to it. And I think, you know, Declan then and, and, and Mick, if you like, and, and Mick is more country, of course, all country and brilliant singer too, and John Hogan as well, and different bands like that. There was, there was a big resurgence on at the time. Then I kind of, I suppose, came in at the tail end of that and started, started making headway. And between, you know, 2003, when I got your wedding day up to 2010 or 12, it was absolutely booming and flying. And then, you know, I'm not sure of the year that, that uh, well, of course, Mike, Mike Denver, Mike Denver came in yeah. then and Mike made a huge impact as well. And, um, you know, when Mike came in and again, he was young as well, you see, and and he had the, the young following and, uh, you know, more and more young people started to come into it. Again, getting back to the Declan early thing, Declan is full of all ages, I thought, you know what I mean? And there were all little, little sporadic bunches of them coming to the other bands a bit then. And I think then that... Um, uh, of course, when sure when Nathan hit the thing, then um, what happened with Nathan was that he got so big that you know the you know all the young crowd, all the youngsters were going to see him. People that hadn't learned to dance or anything like that, and then they started learning how to jive. But I think when they started learning how to jive, then sometimes they were listening to CDs of Mike's or of mine or of of whoever Robert Mazel or Patrick or whoever, and and they would then. So well, we'll go and see these bands. These bands are playing as well, and you just wanted to jive. And I think that gave it a real kick in, kick in the backside again, and got it all really rolling again. For it really helped us, yeah. you know. And Derek as well, you know. Derek coming along the scene, and Derek being such a, you know, a really prolific song, fantastic song. He's unique as well. He's unique yeah. and he's great and but he's a great he was he's his thumb on, on, on what the punter likes too in, yeah. in with the way he writes his songs, you know. And I think all of that, you know, that that young resurgence that you you know that came into it yeah. certainly helped it all to to start to reignite it again, you know? Yeah. I think Daniel says, you know, you Young faces bring young people. They do. To, to There's no doubt, and it'll never change. It'll always yeah. be the way, you know? Yeah. And it, it's great to see country music continuing on through the different generations, yeah. isn't it? Ah, yeah. it is. I mean, look, at it's, it's, to me, it's the best kind of music. There's a great story to it. I know it gets a, a lot of slagging and all that, but your look, everything does. But country music, the stories to the songs, it's good music. It's great melodies to it. It's not overly sophisticated, it, it is what it is and people enjoy it and people love it and they come because they like a song. They might listen to the story of the song but they like the way it goes or, the, you know, I mean, I had a song one time called Diggy Liggy Low and um, never once has it been pronounced properly to me, you know, do a Diggy Liggy or do a Diggy Doogie <laughs> or do, the, you know, but they still love it, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it's, it's what they enjoy, you yeah. know, and it's all about that for me. Yeah, yeah, and your own daughter then, Claudia. Yeah, has uh, has followed your your lead. She uh, has, yeah. yeah, Claudia. You know, I'm I'm delighted with with. Uh, she's just released her first album, and uh, having you know having great success for her. And uh, she's she's a great attitude to it all. She's uh, 
great way with the people. She enjoys meeting the people. She enjoys the singing. She loves the old traditional country like I do. And uh, I've had the opportunity over the last couple of years to help her along in the way of honing her skills, if for, if I if I dare say it. And, uh, you know, being able to give her opportunities to come on shows and do little TV bits. And, and uh, she's really learned her trade well. And, you know, Nathan has been terribly kind to her bringing her on tour and that I know she's some dates with Derek too next year and she's or sorry later this year but she's um she's really becoming an artist in her own right at the start it was you know it was great to uh you know it's uh, to have you know I suppose do a few duets with her and it was nice uh, from my point of view and then she enjoyed as well but she's thankfully started to sprout her own wings and do her own thing and I of course will be there to help her every step of the way as much as I can but she you know she's she wants to do her own thing which is great and I'm very proud of her she's a good girl and when did she break the news to you that she wanted to be a singer singer? yeah (laughs) well you know it's amazing I knew she could sing from an early age and uh, she came and did um, Opera Le Daniel of course um and she sang blue on that. But at the time, she was into all sorts of other stuff and that. And, you know, a young kid pop. of four, four, pop 14 or 15, that type of thing. And, uh, but I just thought, God, this girl likes, she likes country music at all. She, you know, she, she shouldn't waste it. I didn't want her to waste her talent. Um, I wanted people to hear her for, for what she could do. And she did that show. And funny enough, Ryan Tuberty, was watching it, I think, with one of his girls. And, and soon enough, we were on the Late Late Show. We did a duet together on that. And, um, you know, we we did several bits and pieces after that. And then Claudia started, you know, recording her own songs. And uh, she now loves country music. It's the only music she listens to. Well, she listens to various musics, but she, she loves country, loves traditional country music, just adores Dolly Parton and all that. The old Tammy Wynette, all the old the old country singers, the old traditional country singers. Now she's into, you know, a lot of the the newer the type as well. American that, that, singers, but yeah. the ones that are sort of traditional based, she those are the type of singers she she listens to, and um, just loves that we're doing a doing the, the Gertrude Byrne music cruise pretty soon. And uh, she's Caribbean, Caribbean, yeah, and sure she's coming on doing her own spot, and you know, told me already, you know, that you know. I'd kind of do my own thing on that, you know, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> but she's never had to go and work in the meat factory or she's never. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, I, in fairness, you know, she's and she's not afraid to work either. You know, she's she she, she has she, been out working. Uh, yeah, she's been out working and she's, you know, she's um, she's very grounded, but just loves music. She has that bug that I had all that all many years ago. And uh, she I can see so much of myself in her in that sense. You know, she's. Thankfully, a lot more sensible, I think, anyway, than I was, <laughs> Eddie. And uh, she's very professional approach to it all, you know. You had no reservations about her going into show, show it, business. I had it to start because, look, yeah. music, the country music business can be the most crowded room in the world and it can be the room with nobody in it. It can be the best place in the world and the most lonesome place in the world because... You're only sometimes as good as your last show. There's an awful lot of ups and downs and hurts in it. And I got a lot of those hurts along the way. And I would like her to get as many as I got. One or two were okay to keep you on track. But in general, it's nicer if you if your fortune falls on you. 
yeah, yeah. And now we're coming out, finally, we're coming out of, of uh, COVID and lockdowns and yeah. the pandemic hopefully is is uh, in, in the rear view mirror, you know, almost. But um, how do you think uh, country music is going to bounce back? I believe it will bounce back really, really well. Uh, I'm very positive about that, that, uh, you know, but it'll take a little bit of time, I think, just to for people to readjust because, you know, old habits, if you like, in two years of habits for different people are maybe being totally truthful about it. You know, it'll take people a while to maybe just get the dancing back into their, you know, the, the confidence to go out again and so forth. But it's been very, very tough on a lot of people in every way. And there's nobody in the world hasn't been affected by this. I certainly have in in more ways than one, but it's it's um, it'll take time. I'm so glad it's over, and I, please God, it is over. I, um, um, it was. I found it a very strange time. You were very lucky in that you have this passion for for greyhounds and greyhound racing, and it's, it's been yeah. part of your family and part of your life yeah. growing up. And you you have you race you race and, and I do and yeah I do I I I I I um I love my greyhounds I I I breed a few and keep a few and we retire the ones that that no longer race or compete and uh, there's such to me there's just a great serenity about being around them and only for I had them over the last two years I don't know what I'd have done because I just threw myself into that work. It's, you know, it's it's hard work when you're taking care of grounds and looking after them and so forth. And I really, really enjoyed my work with them. And, um, it, you know, it's, I suppose you'd say to yourself, you know, it brings you down to work too. You know, you could, you, you know, you have a chance to reflect and say, God, you know, there's one time you'd say to yourself, you'll never, You'll never see the time when you'd, you know, when you people won't want to hear you singing on stage or you'd always be singing unless something happens to you health-wise or something like that. And then suddenly you're closed down for two years. Like it makes you think. And the dogs for me were my my escape from that mental escape. They're a beautiful animal, most misunderstood industry. And a lot of the time gets an awful lot of flack, in my opinion, that maybe it shouldn't have got. Some of it was warranted. Very little of it, but um, so I enjoy it. I go to national meeting now next week or two, and I, you know, I don't hide behind it. I love my greyhounds and always will. Do you play the music, Jimmy Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Buckley albums? I have, I often <laughs> sing for them, and they, they start howling for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jimmy, uh, you've had a fantastic life and uh, and, a, and a great career, and there's plenty of more life uh, more life left in the old dog, I presume. Well, Eddie, I, look, I'm I'm so looking forward to the year um, the year ahead. I mean, we've the Amigos tour, you know, started to do over the next couple of months. We've our country music weekend in the Abbey Hotel in Donegal, which is sold out. Our one in Clare Morris, which is sold out, has moved to May. We have my crack in the Costa. In October, sold out. So there's a lot to look forward to, and lots of unhold success, if you like. That was yeah. sort of unhold for the last couple of years. But look, a lot of people have had a lot of pain over the last two years in the way of losing loved ones, and uh, you know, and so forth. And it it came to a lot of people's doors. And I think life is certainly for the living, and I hope that everybody will just 
take that grab life now by the scruff of the neck and go with it and enjoy it for as long as we can. It's no rehearsal. And as you mentioned, the Amigos, I mean, that, that's been a f- fantastic development in your career as well. Brilliant. And working with Patrick Feeney and the great Robert Mazzella. Yeah. Uh, two great singers, two yeah. brilliant characters, great friends. We've had our ups and downs. But geez, I'll tell you, we actually have had our ups and downs, but they're two very talented fellas. And, you know, uh, when the three of us get on stage together, there's a certain magic that has been cultivated over the last couple of years and honed and fine-tuned. And it's like a, it's like a ticking over like a mouse's heart. As say. <laughs> it's lovely. I enjoy it very much. We've great success with it. And uh, we're planning on bringing it maybe to Scotland and a bit to the UK as well. And, uh, you know, over in, in, in England and that. So... You know, it's it, that's something that every year, you know, in January, we have a great tour with the Amigos. So I've so many things I need to look forward to, Yeah, you know, going forward. And just hopefully that we have seen the end of this this terrible pandemic, you know. Yeah. Isn't it lovely, lovely to be able to say that? that yeah, you know, I mean. You have so much to look forward to. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, it's, only, it's not long since, the, since all the restrictions were lifted and that. And it's hard to take it in because you're kind of, you, you know, you're saying to yourself, are they sure this time, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> we've had so many, if you like, false starts and that type of thing. But, you know, I think in general, the government and, and uh, you know, the government of the day and the healthcare experts and that, I mean, the healthcare experts especially and all the healthcare workers, any like, they're, they're the real heroes and all of this, Absolute, young heroes. But, you know, they're not unsung either because I think everybody thinks and knows what they have done yeah. and appreciates it's appreciates it so so much so I hope especially that all those people will really really enjoy life going forward by God they deserve it anyway and it's not that you didn't have the passion but you're even more fired up now than you ever were oh my God (laughs) just let me at a stage give me a microphone and I will sing Jimmy it's been a pleasure Eddie it's been a pleasure for me too thank you for all you've done for me over the years and for Claudia and for all of us in the country music you're one of our own and I appreciate it ah pleasure cheers Jimmy This has been My Country Life, a Sunday World podcast. This episode was produced by Ian Malini, and the theme music is Rose Gold Renegades by Jesse Frisell. If you enjoyed this episode, do consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eddie Rowley, and this is My Country Life. <laughs>